Nowadays, when somebody builds any piece of software, nobody starts writing their own database. They take something off the shelf and then they actually focus on the business logic. However, when we look at the modern stack, access control was still something that everybody was reinventing from scratch. And that's why like, we identified this as another part of the software infrastructure layer that needs to be decoupled and made very simple to implement. Hey, this is Brian, and you're listening to Jamstack Radio, a bi-weekly series where we discuss modern web development with maintainers, founders, and developers. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor and developer-first startups. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter, at Jamstack Radio. Welcome to another installment of Jamstack Radio. On the line, we got Alex and Imre from Servos. Alex, how you doing? Hey, good to see you. How are you doing? Uh, I'm Alex. I'm uh, Chief Product Officer here at Servos. Excellent. And Amory, what's your, what's your role at Servos? Hi, I'm, I'm the CEO and co-founder at Servos. Perfect. Well, I'm actually ready to, to jump in. So, Alex, do you want to tell us what, what Servos is? Yeah, absolutely. So, Servos is an open source project that is designed to help you implement roles and permissions into your application in days, not months ultimately solving a problem and a pain Emery and I and the rest of our team had at numerous other companies where you want to get those fine-grained permissions, like this user can do this action on this particular resource if they're a part of this particular team, etc. All that logic, which traditionally you'd have hard-coded across your code base, Cerbos extracts it out into something that's far more easier to work with, far more understandable by more parts of your team and your organization, and it just runs as another service inside of your architecture, so it fits in nicely with the modern stack of which, obviously, Jamstack is one of those. Excellent, and I'm curious, so I mentioned before we hit record that I'm familiar with this, this like policy management on the GitHub side as, as a GitHub employee, so like we had a, a very <laughs> complicated system to manage entitlements and uh, who has access to what, and like I couldn't get production access to the database, Ironically, I couldn't get production access to my side project databases because GitHub <laughs> had a bunch of like lockdown stuff. So I always had to get like <laughs> some big brother or somebody else who had more access to help debug things, which was which is a good sign for for GitHub. Like definitely don't want me taking stuff down in production. But I'm curious from Cerberus's uh, maybe uh, Imre, your, your co-founder. How did you see this pain point? How did this thing get started? Yeah, I mean when you look at access control. It's a very wide spectrum. You have access control at so many different levels, right? You have access control in infrastructure access. You have access control when it comes to your, you know, wherever you're running your services, AWS, GCP. But you also have access control in the product that you're building. And at Servos, we're very much so focusing on access controls that you can you have to actually implement within your products. When we look at the world, a lot of B2B products have multiple users in multiple roles because their customers are organizations with multiple users and multiple roles that they need to work together in order to complete a workflow. So this all lands on the lap of a developer to implement you know, which user can do what. So it's a slightly different than the use case that you talked about, but it's ultimately in any given software, there are multiple users and multiple roles. So that is what we are focusing on because as uh, software engineers, as a CTO, me previously, our product manager, in various different companies I worked on and various different products we worked on, we always had to handle this ourselves and we had to build this layer all by ourselves. And if you look at software development as history, like in 1960s, if you had to build your own software, 
you had to build your own database, your data storage layer. Right? You had to start from the very beginnings of reinventing the wheel, literally, and building on top of it from the first atoms onward. But nowadays, when somebody builds any piece of software, nobody you know, starts writing their own database. They take something off the shelf, and then they actually very much so focus on the business logic. However, when we look at the modern stack, especially with all these decoupling, gem stack, and various other things, access control within the software was still something that everybody was reinventing from scratch. And that's why like, we identified this as another part of the software infrastructure layer that needs to be decoupled and made very simple to implement. Very cool. Yeah, this is like something uh, from my purview is like the, not something I think about a lot. I definitely have a bunch of stuff that we're, we're leveraging off the shelf and uh, we're only just getting to the point where we need to figure out, okay, so I'm the CEO of the company. I helped build the initial product. Uh, I've been a little bit removed from day-to-day engineering, but every now and then I had to, actually yesterday I had a conversation about like access to database uh, to be able to do some some sales discovery and, and et cetera. But then the question is like, should I have access? Like, <laughs> is, that, is that too past like what I need to be doing? Or can I get a sandbox that's read-only? So I'm very intrigued by this this product and how y'all are approaching this. You mentioned open source as well. And um, I'm curious the choice for going open source too. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess a bit of backstory. I, I uh, worked uh, first as a software developer and then in a product manager for M- one of Emre's uh, earlier startups. And I was both the developer and the, later the product person that had to go and manage the roles and permissions inside of that particular uh, SaaS system. It was like an e-commerce um, Martech platform, big, massive Fortune 500, FTSE 500 X companies, uh, and we were going closing these deals with big enterprise accounts. Yeah, and one of the global airlines in the Middle East, one of the biggest retailers in the US, and they had these teams of tens, if not hundreds of thousands of, of employees who all needed access to the particular you know, system we had built. And you know, we'd go in and do this amazing pitch, and we say, right, we're going to onboard you to our system. We have three user roles: we have an admin, we have an editor, and we have a viewer, and that was it. And immediately you turn around and say, I can't shoehorn 90,000 employees into three roles. That just is not going to work. So you end up with these requirements as you start scaling up and you're building a company around sort of enterprise level, enterprise grade uh, and permissions. And this is where you need to now start tailoring access to different parts of your system based on the user, what department they're in, what region they're in, what office they sit in, who their manager is. This kind of beyond role-based access control, but attribute-based access control or, or ABAC. And that was a three-month project minimum to actually get built. And ultimately, it becomes at a certain scale, like a blocker to actually getting deals done and getting customers on board and such. And we didn't want to waste you know, three months. And actually, that system, the requirements kept changing. And every time those requirements changed, it was another three months worth of engineering work. And that's three months of good team of engineers' time and that you've taken away from building the core product to go and focus on this sort of commodity infrastructure style type layer. So when I, I went on to work at a couple of other startups and other different industries, and I had to build the system over and over again, it's like, hold on, why am I doing this again and again and again? So with Servos, we, we all come from sort of engineering backgrounds. Uh, we all still write code, whether we should or not is another question to this day. And <laughs> I still write way too much code. And the way we kind of look at it is like, this is something that every system needs. This is something that you shouldn't be reinventing the wheel every single time. So we took a very much a developer-focused approach, but we figured the best way of kind of getting started here is actually go open source first. So the core of Servos is the Servos policy decision point. 
this is essentially the, this microservice that you pull the container off GitHub or Docker Hub or wherever you run it, run it inside of your cluster, run it inside of a Lambda function, run it wherever you need. Uh, and, and that is the core open source engine of Servos. And that is the component where you send a request to it. You're saying, I've got this principle, or so it could be a user, it could be an API key, et cetera, trying to do this particular action. So they're trying to edit a report, they're trying to view a record, they're trying to export a download, let's say, uh, on this particular resource. So the actual instance of the resource they're trying to access. And in your application code, you already know those three things because based on the request, you've got some authentication token. So you know that this person is Dougie. Uh, he's got these attributes. He's in this team. He's in this office, et cetera. He's trying to hit this particular endpoint. So they're trying to do the edit action, let's say, on this particular resource ID of report one, two, three, let's say. So your application knows from the authentication token who you are. The URL basically dictates what action you're doing or the request dictates what actions you're doing. And the resource, your application already sort of knows what resource is. And then traditionally, you would then have this massive if-else-case-switch-style statement hard-coded in there. And that's where I always start, you know, even on my little yes. side projects I tinker on. Hey, it's an if use at role equals admin, do the thing, if not, return some of error. And that gets you so far, but going back to those kind of previous examples of previous companies, those if statements get more and more bloated. They get more and more tricky to understand. And, you know, as you start scaling up your systems, you've got webs of microservices in you know, different languages, let's say. You know, you've got your, your node sort of application. You're starting to do some AI, LLME stuff in Python over here, and they all need different permissions, et cetera. Whenever those requirements change or whether you need to enforce a new permission or you want to, say, change how a feature is packaged to different access models, you then have to go and touch this code, which is across all sorts of different parts of your application code. And it's a mess, it's a web, and it really gets out of hand. So Serbos, the way it works is you take the open source project, you define your authorization logic as policy, and these are just YAML definitions, love it or hate it, YAML is very much here to stay, and they're very clear and very simple. You, know, you define, here are the different resource types of my system, here are the different actions that you can do against those resource types, and then under which conditions those actions should be allowed. So simple thing is, a user must have a certain role. But more realistically, you end up having conditions, which are things like this user must have a role and they must be the owner of that resource. So you'd have a little expression in there that says the owner ID attribute of the resource must be equal to the ID of the user making the request. Thus, they are the owner. That is an attribute access control logic. So all these different policies are then loaded into that open source container that, that you're running inside of your stack. So it's running right alongside your application. So you're not going out over the internet. You're not going to hit some external API or anything. Everything's local to your app. And in your application code, before where you had that massive if-else case switch style statement, you now just make an API call out using one of the SDKs or the API directly, and you simply say to Serbos, this user trying to do this action on this resource, Serbos evaluates the policies, creates an audit log of the decision, which is something that's generally overlooked if you have uh, to build it yourself, and then returns back that and allow or deny to your application code. So now that massive logic before is a single if statement. If Serbos says allow, do the action. If not, return some sort of error. And that's the, the developer experience. And that's why we went to open source first, because this solves a problem that every application will have at some point. We wanted to get the core out there. We want to get the solution off the shelf. We don't want it to be a blocker. You, don't, you shouldn't have to go through procurement to get a stable solution in, in your environment. And that solution would uh, should scale with you. And this decoupled approach, decoupled authorization is the kind of the phrase and then the sort of category we're talking about here. That decoupled approach really gives you this incredible advantage where whenever those requirements change, which guarantee they will, you just update your policy files once, they sit in a Git repo, you have a whole CI pipeline running around it through the tooling we open sourced as well, and then those requirements change, change your policy, the service instances pull that latest policy in, and now without redeploying your application code or anything like that, 
all your authorization logic has been updated and you have a single source of truth of what's going on and what decisions were made from that audit log. Yeah, that's pretty elegant. And like, I, I definitely am, uh, when you're saying like the if statements, like I feel triggered because I'm like, oh yeah, that's my life. Oh yeah. Because <laughs> I, I, I literally, I'm working on a side project uh, as I do uh, as CEO. I don't, I don't try to do production, try to block up their engineers, but I do have a case statement on, on managing like who has access and what, who's looking at what. Uh, and that's like the, the best approach to like, let's just get in front of people and like, the engineering team can like make this polished. But yeah, what I'm hearing at it's like it's extremely elegant to be able to say, okay, we've got an open source solution, try this out. And I think that was a lot of a big hurdle because I GitHub acquired by Microsoft was the, definitely the biggest company I'd worked at. So like mm-hmm. technically Microsoft, but there were we were kind of seeing like new steps and hurdles and how to interact with um, different parts of like pieces of the stack. And um, that was like very eye-opening for me to know, oh like okay, I can't just like Cowboy code my way into into whatever solution and expect this thing to go live in front of a couple thousand people, even a couple hundred. I needed to go through some checks and balances, and uh, you're you're right on the money with that audit log thing too as well because like you don't know you need it until you need it. So to like have that out of the box is like extremely valuable. Yeah, the, the, the audit log piece, and I can definitely speak. Yeah, sort of understand what you went through. I started my career at Microsoft, so I've done the big enterprise, and then I went to startup. So I probably went from very structured to a bit more cowboy, and now I'm kind of going back slowly. But yeah, the audit log piece is something that I'm particularly a fan of, I guess you could say, or, or quite keen to sort of make people aware of, because you know, previous companies, as well as Service now, I've gone through ISO 27001, I've gone through SOC 2 compliance, etc. And I was the one that got pulled into the basement conference room by the auditor who would come every year, and I had to demonstrate sort of on-demand our access controls and our audit logs, etc. And before we had a, a neat solution, I'd be sitting there trying to like grep through S3 logs, which doesn't really go down well with an auditor. So having clean, structured audit logs and a source of truth exactly what happened in a way that's understandable or presentable by someone that doesn't know necessarily how to code or wants to look in raw log files is kind of a big win. And really, it's a side effect and a, like a side benefit of using something like Cerbos. Because it's just capturing the decision that's being made, the actual core decision and engine runs, and as well as returning the response, it just creates that clean and consistent audit log. So regardless of where in your stack, you're doing that check, you're getting that log in place. And, and one thing that always often gets overlooked, even if you are a developer writing your own code and audit logging, one thing that always gets overlooked is all the attempts, right? Usually people tend to log what happened at the end, but you know, who actually tried to do something and whether they were allowed or denied and why. Why were they allowed? Why were they denied? Those are all very important pieces of information for especially organizations that have their own security teams and they actually look into all these events and trying to predict various different fraud or other you know, counterfeiting operations. Yeah, so you, you kind of hinted at this, but I wanted to ask the, the question that's like straight up, which is like, who's the ideal customer profile? Because it sounds like it, there's not like a size difference. Like I, It sounds like I could use this at, at my seven-person startup. But yeah, who, who's the ideal use case for this? So it's actually staggered, right? The number one ideal user is the developer. Developer, whoever is building this piece of infrastructure, we want to make sure that developers do not get to reinvent security. The developer who needs to first put that if-then-else statement, which isn't very easy to put in, but then as requirements get, it gets bigger and all the bells and whistles come in. We want to make sure that developers are never 
tempted to actually start writing that if then else, and there they actually put something in, very easy to implement and operate. However, as that startup, you know, let's take that startup through its life cycle, as that startup starts growing, as Alex mentioned earlier, requirements start coming in, whether it's from the business teams, whether it's from the product management or security teams. And all those requirements turn into, we need a new role. We need a new new way of authorizing people or deciding whether somebody. So suddenly it goes from the developer into a team, like product management team or product development team. So now suddenly we have a product manager and a developer. And then as the organization grows more, as we just mentioned, security starts becoming more of an issue. Suddenly, it becomes an enterprise problem of who has access to what, whether all of that is in check, uh, whether all of that is being audited. Suddenly, the CISO starts getting involved in that. So the ideal user of our system is, depending on the evolution of a company, can be one, two, or three of all those different roles. And the ideal customer profile is ultimately companies who have to handle authorization, whether they are a simple startup, a just coming up startup, and they want to implement something that's completely scalable and extensible throughout its lifetime. Or, you know, we also have several very large enterprises who are actually re-architecting their system. They're going from monolithic applications into microservices and suddenly they don't want to translate the same logic into four different languages and maintain, you know, maintain parity across all that logic. They're actually centralizing it servos. They get a single API that speaks the same truth no matter where you're accessing it from. Yeah, and I'm curious to because I imagine there's a lot of folks like listening already and also been triggered by the conditional statement. <laughs> I guess what are some good rebuttals for folks who are thinking, oh, I'm not ready for this or I don't need it yet? Because it sounds like this is something you want to install into your system earlier because then before it gets too complicated or before you end up sort of cluing like weird stuff around in your monolith. Yeah, so I think there's certain industries and verticals where you're going to be thinking about this earlier than you may may have to. So we have a lot of users in like finance and fintech and regulated industries. This is just foundational stuff you need from day one. And anything you do that isn't sort of scalable is definitely going to burn you down the line as you start scaling up. For getting started early stage, you know, you're hacking on a weekend project or you've got a little side side thing you're working on. The advantage of putting something like service in now is the hooks are already in place. So you're saving yourself the refactor, you're saving yourself the architecture that Emery spoke about, you're saving yourself the headaches down the line. And for the little bit of work now, the payoff is exponential. So going back to my sort of previous example, every time we had to change the logic in some of these applications I worked on, it was three months of an engineering squad's time to do this properly over a moderate-sized system. You know, it's not wasn't insane, you're talking... 30 or 40 different microservices in a few different languages. But it was three months of engineering whenever we had to refactor and rework and re reconfigure how this authorization logic works. So it does take a bit of forward planning, let's say, or foresight that, you know, and confidence, I guess, that your application is going to be massively successful and your platform is going to be great. And you want to get these things set in stone early. And really, the best parallel to look at is authentication. So today, rarely you would probably go and build your own authentication system. There's lots of either open source or commercial products out there. You know, you've got the stupid tokens, you've got the Auth0, you've got the AuthKit that came out a few weeks ago, you've got Clark who's doing really well. And, and you know, it's kind of a no-brainer to go and put in authentication using one of these services or, or open source projects. 
yourself because that's a whole ball of mud that you don't want to go down the route of managing yourself, you know, hashing, sorting passwords, managing all SSO, managing social logins, etc. You just go and drop in a library, you go and drop in a service that does it for you. Authorization is kind of the next one of those. And hopefully you can kind of hear from our experience and, and Doug yourself around that this is something that does get painful. And, and you can just tick something off the list very early on by putting a solution like Serbos in from day one. And your logic can be very simple. You can be doing those simple role-based checks and your policies are very simple and your deployment's very simple at that point. But it will grow with you and, and will give you in good stead. So down the line, when you get those big deals or you are going for your ISO compl- or SOC 2 compliance or you are going for, you know, to be a multinational business, et cetera, all the foundations are in place and you haven't wasted your valuable time and money in the early stage to do something as foundational as authorization. Just drop in a solution that works for you and will grow with you. Excellent. My, my next question is like, how does one get started with Servos today? The line we always kind of use with this is 99% of the effort is actually understanding what your requirements are first. So really thinking like, okay, what are my different user roles? What are the different resources and actions inside of my system? And literally, like, do that spreadsheet, do that matrix. This user should be able to do this, this action. This role should be able to do that action, this action, X, Y, Z. And some of those cells will be a yes or a no. Some of those cells will be a condition. This user can do it only if they're the owner. And really getting your own, either if you're you know, a solo, solo pruner, getting that down on paper yourself, uh, just to get it straight in your head. But if you're working with a team and making sure everyone's aligned, you've got sales team, you've got customer team, you've got product team, whoever is kind of involved in decision making, getting all that down on, on pat. Once you've got that, it's actually pretty trivial. So to get started with Serbos, uh, if you like to run everything yourself, you can go and just grab it off GitHub, spin up the container, you can write some policy uh, files and load them in and you basically get that API immediately. We also have Serbos Hub. Uh, so Serbos Hub is the managed control plane that sits on the Serbos open source project. And in there we have an interactive online playground where you can actually build, test, and iterate policies directly inside of your browser. We guide you through exactly what to do. We run all your test cases. We give you much better you know, feedback uh, around formatting, etc. Um, and it's a whole environment where you can define test cases uh, and get up and running and really nail your policies without having to run any code or any, run any infrastructure yourself. And then that's kind of a whole environment that goes on and it's a whole managed CI pipeline uh, enables you to run your policies both as a container but also as a WASM module if you want to do things at edge or even on device. And really it is getting that business requirements down on paper and write them into policy and, and then you'll be up and running in, you know, I don't like saying minutes because no one believes minutes, but it, you can do it in a couple of hours. Cool, yeah. And I do want to ask, like, is there any exciting things coming up on the roadmap or that folks should be paying attention or maybe that just shipped? Yeah, absolutely. So I just mentioned that service hub. Okay. We, we launched this at KubeCon in North America. So oh, nice. Uh, that uh, is now out there in the world. So Serbos, uh, the open source project, Serbos Policy Decision Point is still out there. That is the foundation of everything that Serbos does. So that's actively being worked on, not just by people inside of Serbos, but also the wider community, which warms my heart every time I see a pull request from one of the users out there. And Serbos Hub is just the added layer on top, which gives you a much more of like a managed environment for defining policies, managing policies, and managing lots of the operational sort of burden that can be introduced when you're running a large cluster. Serbos Hub manages the rollout and distribution of policies and also enables those other use cases around running uh, Serbos policies either at edge, say in like edge functions and, and workers and those sort of things, or even on device. Serbos Hub also generates a WebAssembly module version of your policies, which is you can run in far more places where, where you can't necessarily run a container. And then we have a whole roadmap kind of going uh, into this year that really supercharges that environment and gives you much more tooling, firstly for developers, but going into product teams and security teams uh, over the rest of this year. 
um, to bring more of those stakeholders, bring more of those users and more, bring more of those teams on board and you know, hopefully taking some of the burden off the developers down the line. Excellent. Well, honestly, I, I'm, I'm super intrigued. I'll be, I'll definitely be following up about uh, Cerbos and uh, what we do at OpenSauce because uh, I think we definitely have a use case that we should be paying attention to access control and et cetera. So yeah, I'm looking forward to digging. I hope folks that were listening to the conversation will also dig in and reach out to uh, both of y'all for demos. Uh, there's a lot of demos on YouTube, so <laughs> look for Alex's face walking through the hub. <laughs> And one more thing to add there is like a lot of people earlier, I also mentioned like B2B use cases, right? In every B2B product, you have to implement that. But what we also tend to see a lot is for many other products, B2C products, et cetera, the same use cases exist for the back office. So you can think about Uber, for example. The Uber app doesn't need any roles and permissions when you look at it. I just call a cab and it shows up. But now think about the back office operations of Uber. Who's actually allowed to onboard a new driver? Who's allowed to issue a refund? Who's allowed to see a trip information? And so a lot of these B2C use cases, actually, when you get to the back office, the internal control systems, et cetera, there are still developers building those systems and they need to limit access to, you know, they, they need to implement fine-grained authorization. So... The way that we always use look at this is the use cases are endless. Yeah, that's a good point too as well because I know um, Uber had some issues with uh, years ago around who has access and who could see certain politicians in their rides. Yeah, and Twitter had an issue where they had um, folks have access to their I guess quote unquote God mode. And I come from like ten years ago building Ruby on Rails apps like that was like oh yeah, let's just get God mode and like anybody can go assume <laughs> the role of a of a user like across the company. And it's it's nature, right? It's nature. Like everybody fo- very much so focuses on the core use cases of their product and nobody really thinks about these and they're like, oh, it'll, it'll be a problem when we'd have to deal with it. But by the time they realize they have to deal with it, it becomes a big monster that they need to implement. And suddenly, if especially in organizations that do not have their own dedicated security engineering team to build that layer, you start pulling people from your top engineers from different parts of your system that know your system to, to in order to be able to build this. And then the pain comes when you need to actually extend it or make it scalable, the second iteration, the third iteration. And this is you know, what we have seen in many organizations ourselves. This is what we have heard from a lot of our users and customers. And Ultimately, we're trying, we've dedicated our lives to solve this once for all so that nobody has to actually deal with that. Yeah, fascinating stuff. So I think we could probably talk a little bit more about this, but I do want to transition us to picks. Uh, so folks, definitely check up uh, servos.dev. And um, it's probably a good fit for you if you're not doing any of this stuff already. So definitely check it out. But now we're going to move over to our jam picks. So these are the things that we're jamming on that keep us going throughout the day. So I know we talked about this earlier, but if you guys don't mind, I'll go first uh, with my picks. And uh, first pick is actually, I think we mentioned this in, in passing as like a use case case study, but Zenny.ai is my pick. Uh, I've been managing, <laughs> as a founder uh, of a small company, managed me on the finances myself. I have a finance degree, so I, I, could, bow, I could zero base a budget and um, I could do a bunch of other stuff, but I don't want to. So Zenny.ai is a, an app to basically connect to your QuickBooks. 
which again, I, I could be dangerous in QuickBooks, but I don't want to anymore. I want to move on to <laughs> bigger and better things. Uh, connect to your QuickBooks, uh, connect to your bank account, and they, they give you a really elegant onboarding experience to understand things like burn and kind of like Mint, which meant RIP on, on that, that thing that's now going to be uh, dead pretty soon. Understanding like what, what you're paying for and like where money is going uh, and like really as your business needs to operate, it's, it's a nice place to offload that experience. So if you're a very new founder, Zenny.ai, definitely worth getting in early into your product. And it was cost-effective for us. So yeah, definitely check it out. <laughs> I, I, I'm laughing here because my pick is a very much same use case, but another product. It's called Pry. It's P-R-Y dot co. And it's very much the same. It hooks into your bank account. It hooks into your accounting system. We use zero. And then it lets you model your entire uh, company spend. So you can actually put all your projected things and spend it. Uh, you can put all your hiring plan. And actually, every month, it reconciles with your accounting system and says where you're overspending, where you're underspending based on your budget. And as a startup founder, uh, and in my previous company, you know, I was running all the entire product and engineering team. I had to do all of this in a spreadsheet, and then that spreadsheet had to get reconciled, and then CFO actually did the whole company-wide things, etc. With Pry, uh, when we first started, I tried to replicate that spreadsheet, and it was a nightmare. And then came across Pry, and I'm like, oh my god, this it, it does it in here. And what I love about it, it has also a GitOpsy approach, so you can actually make branches of your plan, and you you have you can have different scenarios. But um, that's been you know. Again, as a startup founder, cash is very important. Your runway is very important. And yeah, that's been my CFO basically since day one for the past three years. And I believe recently they have been acquired by Brex, but they're still operating it as an independent company. Oh, yeah. It gets to be, uh, yeah, very, very familiar. Like it was very similar to Zinni. So yeah, I, I did not know of Pry, but yeah, it definitely looks like a uh, worth checking out. Cool. Alex, did you have any picks? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm not going to go finance. Uh, I'm going to go uh, get Cerberus. We're kind of like a sometimes get bucketed as like infrastructure or deep tech type type solution. And I feel like there's a lot of these companies that don't necessarily get as much publicity as they deserve, given how good their, their tech is. So I'm going to go quite niche and quite technical. Uh, a company called Buff. So there's a technology called Protobuf, which um, sort of Google led the lead on uh, many years ago and runs things like gRPC and such out there. And Buff is, the, is building this whole developer ecosystem around Protobuf, so making them far easier to work with. And it's an amazing like toolchain. Uh, Buff.build is their website. We're heavily, heavily using it as Cerberus, and it allows us to definitely type and strongly define your APIs. And then we are consuming those definitions across our front end, our back end, our, our queue workers, etc. And we have a central source of truth, much like we do with Cerberus authorization policies. We have a simple source of truth for our message types and our data types as Protobuf definitions, and using the Buff ecosystem or tools on top to do a lot of the code generation and even some documentation and validation stuff uh, on the fly um, using their toolchain. Um, it's one of those technologies that I think you can very quickly brush off as very being a bit unsexy, but it, it's actually a really, really nice way of working and, a, and we've kind of built a whole stack around it and I just like shout them out whenever I can because they're doing some great work over there. Very cool, yeah. Well, thanks for the picks and thanks for the conversation and, and talking about Cerberus. Uh, I'm excited to dig in and like punt this over to uh, my engineering team pretty soon. So thanks so much for, for the time and uh, listeners, keep spreading the jam. That's all we have time for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. 
This show is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor and developer for startups. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com.